Welcome back to Draftville, and we are on the eve of the National Football League Draft in Nashville, Tennessee. My name is Tommy Dees, host of our podcast at the USA Today Network. We're going to talk about five different teams today, everything from the Packers to the Bills, Jets, Giants, and Philadelphia Eagles. Our guests are Art Stapleton of USA Today Network, covers the NFL based at the record in NorthJersey.com, and Jim Ozarski covers the Packers for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and PackersNews.com. So we've got a action-packed episode as we head into the stretch run going into the draft. We welcome Jim Ozarski, who covers the Green Bay Packers for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and PackersNews.com. How are you doing, Jim? Good, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. It's finally here yeah. <laughs> after many months. Yeah, the hot stove league for football is about to be over with, and it's the hot chicken league now. Right, <laughs> right. So I don't know if how many if how many Packers people know what I'm talking about. I could talk about cheese curds, but I don't know anything about them. Yeah, there, well, yeah, you're right about that. There, there has been an influx of some Nashville hot chicken, at least to Milwaukee. I can't speak for it in Green Bay, though. The least in Milwaukee, <laughs> uh, you know, after some, some break from from you know camping out at the the Journal Sentinel office downtown we can head over there so we know what's up <laughs> well you would think it would have gotten to green bay by now because one of our first topics is you've got a new new coach who came from nashville right yeah it's uh it's interesting this is a very busy week for matt lafleur he's actually running his first voluntary mini camp this week it's going to overlap with the first round of the draft i think they'll wrap up their last practice uh just hours before you know, Brian Gutekunst, the general manager, kind of takes over the spotlight later Thursday night. So it's, um, you know, it's interesting. You know, Matt LaFleur's got, uh, <laughs> he, I put it this way, Tommy, I think, um, I think he's hoping he gets some help on offense through these next three days. Right. I would imagine so. He's got the quarterback and he's got a window where, where that still makes you, your, your Packers, a, a viable contender. If, if you have a quarterback like that, you're a contender. But when you look around, you kind of got one wide out who's often hurt, who is ultra productive. And then you look and you say, what else do they have? So what, what are the Packers going to be looking at when it comes to draft time? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You know, they spent money in free agency on defense, you know, for the first time since, you know, what, what our colleagues at the Press Gazette and, and at the Journal Sentinel said, first time really since Reggie White um, in terms of impact and spending. Um, so that, well, you're talking decades. Uh, so that, that would lead you to believe that, you know, okay, some, some help's got to come on offense. They didn't, their only free agent signing on offense was retaining veteran Mercedes Lewis. Um, and then, you know, a, a swing lineman and Billy Turner who, Hey, depending who you talk to, there's some mixed feelings on, on how good he is or what position he can even play. So, um, yeah, I, you know, so you think you're going to see a running back, you think you're going to get some offensive line help. However, at least when it comes to that first round, Tommy, um, it might be really hard for Brian Gutekunst to pass on one of those top defensive players, uh, especially if Murray does go number one, if somehow drew lock, you know, you know, sneaks into that top 11. Um, and, and one of those guys is sitting there for Brian Gutekunst. I don't know if he could pass on one of those guys. So um, it's interesting. I think early it, it might be, 
you know, I, I hesitate to give a name because you don't know who falls, but you know, Montez Sweat out of Mississippi State, we don't know how the Packers feel about his heart condition. If one of those guys is there at 12, I find it hard for them to pass on it. After that, they need help to me, you know, tight end for sure, offensive tackle, maybe guard for sure, um, and then safety for sure too. So, you know, they're, they're kind of – look, this has been a bad team. Seven wins, six wins. They need a lot of help. So they, they can't really go wrong, I guess, Tommy, with uh, picking across several positions, especially with four picks in the first 75. You know, they, they, they need starters and, and impact guys across the board. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the the there's so many good defensive linemen in this in this draft. When you have a kind of what I would call a front-loaded draft for the Packers, I find it hard to believe you don't want some help somewhere, no matter what you've done in the offseason, um, for, for what could be a, you know, a, a career starter and a career all-star among some of the defensive linemen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it's people talk about needs and, and all that stuff. Look, Kenny Clark is probably should have made the Pro Bowl as a defensive tackle last year. Uh, an injury kind of wiped out his last couple games, so maybe – that kept him out of it. But Mike Daniels is, is 30 coming off an IR stint with a foot. Um, he's going to be a free agent after that. Some good rotational players, you know, solid NFL guys, but there's no, they need some help put it that way. And you're right. Like if an Ed Oliver somehow tumbles down, for instance, um, I don't know how they don't go for that guy. And yes, they spent a lot of money on Zadarius Smith. Um, top level elite pass rush money Preston Smith uh to a degree has some money but look if, if Devin Bush is there um Blake Martinez will be a free agent after a year after this year so yeah you're right they're they're in a spot where if one of those guys in that front seven on defense is there at 12 um it, you know I I do think they're gonna take that guy because he's gonna play and Frankly, you know, he's opened with talking about Matt LaFleur. I think it's going to take a little bit for that offense to get going, even with Aaron Rodgers. Um, so I think they're sort of doubling down on the fact that Mike Pettin's defense is ready to to be really good out of the gates and having maybe another player who can, you know, affect the pass game or pass rush um, or coverage if it is one of those linebackers is, is something that they, you know, they won't pass on, in my opinion. Yeah, and how is Matt Lafleur? How how is the hire regarded up there, and, and how might his philosophies impact the draft? How, how much input will he even have? I've, in in some cases, the the coach really is running the show, and other and others, it's the GM saying, "I'll go get the players. You coach them up." Right. It's a great question. So, look, it, the hire was received. Pretty, you know, uh, happily, I guess, by the fan base, we'll call it, we'll use that word. I think Mike McCarthy, you know, that the, the fans were, were tired of that. Um, I think 13 years, yes, there was a Super Bowl and four NFC title games, but frankly, Tommy and Green Bay, um, the, you know, the coaches under Favre and, uh, or over Favre and Rogers to own, quote unquote, only win one <laughs> is not good enough. So I think after, um, after that time, I hate to say they would have been happy with anyone, but um, I think to a degree that's true. I do think the the idea that Matt comes from the Shanahan tree, obviously the little bit of magic dust from Los Angeles, 
helps as well. Um, but I think there's one of those things, as you said, with that quarterback, you're always sort of in the mix. And Aaron Rodgers didn't waste any time. He let Matt LaFleur know what it's going to be like to coach him by in his first media availability of 2019 says, uh, no grace period. We're here to win championships. This is not a one to two year. Let's build towards something. It's win right now. And that's a lot of pressure on a guy who's never done it. So going back to that second part there, Tommy, and how we opened this where Brian Gutekunst didn't add anything, you know, um, to that offense. And on one hand, maybe they're clearly saying we feel the talent is here and Mike McCarthy's offense just didn't utilize it. Uh, or conversely, um, they feel they can't complement it through the draft. So in Green Bay, um, the coach has some input, but this is Brian Gutekunst and his scouting staff show. Um, this is not one of those organizations where there's a whole lot of crossover. Look, I, I was in Cincinnati for four drafts. Marvin Lewis and his coaches were heavily, heavily involved. They had a lot of say in who was who was drafted for that franchise. Not the case in Green Bay. Um, so a little bit of you know a little bit of input, um, but no, this is definitely a front office show, and then the coaches have to make it work. Yeah, and and when you look at his offense, I think I think some of the you know marquee things that that I would take from from watching um, the Titans last year here in Nashville, uh, where I happen to have a front row seat is that while they, they did eventually get in the round of saying, boy, that Derrick Henry is really big and strong, let's give him the football, um, he likes to throw to the backs, I think, and he really likes to utilize tight ends, even though Tennessee had some depth problems with with injuries. Even when they got further down the depth chart and picking up guys you know, off the street almost, they were still throwing to the tight ends. So so are those two positions you would expect to see them want to come out of the those, those early picks that they have in the, in the first 75 or so with, with some help there? Yeah, I'll start with running backs with a definitive yes. Uh, that's easy. That's easy. So they're Aaron Jones, um, really, really dynamic runner. Um, one of, I mean, quite frankly, one of the best in National Football League in yards per carry, um, explosiveness and breakaway speed. Um, you know, I, I think he'll fit that wide zone scheme. Jamal Williams, sort of that the, the quote unquote thunder part of that equation. Very solid, durable can and they both can catch however they don't really fit that mold of a really polished route runner pass catcher the ability to sort of you know those those you know options uh the run pass options in terms of them being okay you can trust them complicitly they're they can do it so but i so i could see you know a, a back who's a little more equipped to do it right away uh being drafted now tight ends <laughs> tight end is really interesting so mixed messages tommy um jimmy graham was signed last year to to be the highest paid tight end in football and totally disappointed uh lacked athleticism lacked burst uh could not separate in the end zone um just was a guy to be honest. Now, Aaron Rodgers and the offensive guys will tell you, Hey, teams respected Jimmy Graham so much. He was double covered. It opened up things for other people. And that's fine. Um, maybe six years ago, he could still win in those double team scenarios. That's, that's not the case anymore. So on one hand, 
you thought maybe they move on from him because he doesn't really block. Uh, and when he tries, it's not great. And as you said, it's important <laughs> in Matt LaFleur's offense that that happens. Well, Gutekunst says, no, we feel Tommy, you know, uh, you know, Jimmy Graham can, can, can still do the things we're paying him to do. Well, then Matt LaFleur says, well, you know, we like tight ends who can block and we think Jimmy can really run still up the steam. It's like, well, he, he can't. So there's sort of some mixed messaging there with the coach and the GM. They, they re-signed Mercedes Lewis, um, 35 years old, really good blocker, um, caught four balls. I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a guy throughout, throughout his careers who's had some, some big catches, but he's not a guy that you expect to, to light up things offensively as, as a weapon. Um, he's certainly right. a guy who, he, who adds value, especially as a blocker, but, but I don't see him as a pass catching guy all of a sudden. Right. So this is where, so this is what's interesting about where maybe the, the confluence of the GM coach, scenario we'll see how it goes because i guess you know on one hand packers fans and i know even some national mocks and we'll we'll put you know either hawkinson or maybe a noah fant to the packers at 12 well i mean i I don't know about you but i you know first round tight ends fall in the same boat as like first round receivers i mean a most of the time they don't really have a tremendous rookie year impact you know you know, David Njoku, um, you know, the kid up in New York, uh, Evan Ingram, I think, and, and uh, some of these guys, I think uh, Howard down in, in, in Tampa. Uh, maybe I'm getting those confused. But anyway, it's usually it's usually like year two, maybe. Right. You see 45, 50 catches, a handful. Of, I mean, are, are you really expecting that guy to come in and catch 60 balls when you have Jimmy Graham <laughs> right. there? Right. I, I don't know. So. Does it, it fits the offense in like 2020, 2021? Does it help you this year? I, that's the interesting part. Maybe an Irv Smith, you know, is a better fit down in the second round where he's like, okay, he plays a little bit. So um, tight end for sure. I think there's definitely um, not quite an alignment with the talent that Matt LaFleur needs, especially what you, what he has said is a really important position for this offense to work. So when you, when you look overall, what would most surprise you um, from the Packers in this draft? Um, I, okay. I, I guess to, to follow up with that, I guess I would be surprised if they thought tight end was the best option at number 12, that would surprise me. Um, after that, um, I guess if wow, well, because I do think they'd be really open to moving out of thirty uh, to add maybe a first rounder again later, um, you know, or, or stock up picks. Um, I'd also, you know, I'm trying to run it through Tommy. I think I think everything's on the table for them. I think even if things kind of go wonky in the top ten, I could see Brian Gutekunst moving up even to, to get out of 12 and move into that top 10. Maybe if, if he sees a guy kind of starting to slide and, and, and I don't know who that guy would be. I don't know if that's, you know um, you know, if my, if Murray doesn't go number one or he does, you know what I mean? I, where those quarterbacks fall, I could, so really, I, I guess the, the shocking thing to me would be if it's a receiver or a tight end, at 12 
I think that would floor me because it just it, it doesn't fit the team in terms of how they generally view those positions. Um, and then also, again, I, I just from what I've read and seen of these guys, look, I, I came from Cincinnati again where A.J. Green was taken in the top five. Like, those are the guys you take <laughs> really high, and I just don't see that kind of skill guy. So the shocker would be that. Um, and I think everything else Brian Gutekunst has proven, even in just his short time as general manager, anything else is on the board for him. Yeah, we're wrapping it up talking with Jim Ozarski, a Packers beat writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and uh, PackersNews.com. Um, you, you know, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that, that you could see the Green Bay Packers moving up. But when you look at what this draft is, if you're moving up from 12, aren't you moving for defensive front help? I, I think so. I mean, what, what, who else is there that you, unless you want, I don't, they're not moving up to get Kyler Murray, I don't think. No, no, I, I think, um, no, you're right. I think, and maybe this is all hinges on the quarterbacks, right? And, and what kind of stuff happens with Kyler Murray? Because I think if the Cardinals, if this was the greatest smokescreen ever and they don't pick him, um, I think people scramble because then it's that's which guy did they pick, right? Quinn Williams or Nick Bosa, right? right I mean, right. that's kind of where we're at. And then uh, who knows what's going on in Oakland? So I think, I think, yeah, if they make that move up, um, it would be for one of those edge guys, or w- whether it be Williams or uh, you know Oliver, that Aaron Donald s Geno Atkins s type of interior guy. Um, I think you're right. If they move up, it's for one of those guys because they just are like, wow, he's there. We can get him. Let's get him. Yeah, and, and when you do that, you're thinking, yeah, we're, we're trying to win championships now, but yes. this guy can help us do that because those guys are plug and play, and he can help you in the future because I think, barring injury, you're talking about you know career impact players there, I think. Definitely. And if it, Look, I think the Packers – are in, you know, look, they're, they're drafting 12 and they have been a bad team for two years. Um, yes, Aaron Rodgers was hurt two years ago, but whatever. I mean, they're seven, they were seven and nine. That's, that's how it ended up. Um, and, you know, with this five year window of Rodgers' contract, um, yeah, I, I, you're right. I think even though it's a first year head coach, first year offense, and all of that turnover on that side of the ball, um, I do. I think I agree with the quarterback. I don't think they're in a position to wait till, you know, to draft and develop. I, you know, and I understand the GM has to have that five-year board, you know, and maybe that's what you do in the middle rounds. They they do have 10 picks as we record this. Um, But to me, I think you, you gotta, you gotta push the chips to the table if you're the Packers, because let's face it, if, if they're getting to Aaron Rodgers being 40 and they haven't won a Super Bowl or gone back to one, how, I mean, everybody's getting fired again. You know what I mean? Matt LaFleur's gone. Guna Kutz is gone. Mark Murphy will be replaced as, as president and CEO. I mean, that, that's where they're at, even though. Yeah, you're, you're down to a couple of che- you're, you're down to a couple of beer vendors now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, I, to me, I think there is a little bit of pressure to, okay, you're, you're picking at 12. It's the highest you've picked since, what, 2006 when they picked B.J. Raji number nine and Clay Matthews number 26. And, and that draft really propelled them 
it's obviously the only Super Bowl in this Rodgers era. So I think they they may not say it, but I think there's that inherent, okay, this is the one-off <laughs> of the Packers being bad enough to get these kind of picks. They, they need to they need to make hay with it, in my opinion. Well, thank you, Jim Ozarski. We appreciate you joining us here on the Draftville podcast. And uh, it's almost draft time, so Packer fans out there, um, I'm, I know they have all got their sheets out and they'll be watching. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So thanks for having me, Tommy. It's been a lot of fun and uh, it's been a great Great, uh, great series of podcasts, and, and uh, thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, sir. And now we are talking with Art Stapleton of the USAT Network, based at The Record and NewNorthJersey.com. How are you doing today, Art? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, you'll be able to fill us in on a bunch of teams, uh, hopefully. So uh, we're looking at the draft, uh, which is now upon us uh in nashville and and let's start with the new york giants uh i guess the big question there is is quarterback or not yeah that is the question uh we don't have an answer until around uh i'd say around 9 9 15 on thursday night but uh in reality the giants are are kind of two teams uh, a team caught in two directions they they still have eli manning back for this year and they know they need a quarterback of the future uh most People believe they need a quarterback a lot sooner than the future. But um, I think, you know, you talk to some people and they say they like Dwayne Haskins. Obviously, Dwayne Haskins uh, is originally from New Jersey. He'd love to play for the Giants, rooted for the Giants growing up. Uh, I think more likely the Giants will look uh, at a quarterback maybe with the 17th overall pick. Uh, That is what they got back as part of the package for the trade of Odell Beckham Jr. to Cleveland. Uh, but if they're sitting there hoping that they're going to get a Drew Locke, uh, Drew Locke or uh, Daniel Jones, uh, they may have to move up from 17 in order to get it. So the Giants are in an intriguing situation. Uh, ultimately, I believe they stay at six and they take the best defensive player available. Uh, I know they're hoping that it's either Quinn and Williams or Josh Allen that drop down. Uh, but maybe even a Devin White from LSU. Uh, But that's kind of where the Giants are looking at. They have 12 picks. There's a lot of assets for them to move around in the back end of the draft to kind of try to move up into what a lot of people believe is the meat of this draft in the third and fourth round. So we'll see what the Giants uh, try to do at that point. Yeah, you anticipated my next question. I think they may have the most picks of anybody, although I think everybody thinks the Raiders do because of their yeah. high picks. But um, yeah, when you've got twelve picks, and in particular when you're when they're loaded um, in, the, in the front half of the draft, they're not. It's not like there's nine of them in the seventh round. Um, you can do a lot to improve your football team. What what are they looking for, and what will they do with all those picks? Well, they they certainly need depth. You know, this is the kind of draft where they need to be able to find offensive linemen that they haven't really been able to build a foundation. And that's how this roster has deteriorated since they won Super Bowl 46 back in 2011. So I could see uh, multiple offensive linemen, even if they take one early, I could see them taking uh, some, some offensive linemen in the fourth and fifth rounds. I do believe that they have a huge gap. They pick 37th in the second round and then they don't pick again until the back end of the third round, which was a compensatory pick that they ended up getting back. Uh, so I think if they're going to move up, it wouldn't surprise me to see them try to package maybe one of the, they have two fourth round picks. 
maybe they send a fourth-round pick to somebody uh, to move up into the front half of the third round rather than waiting. I think it's like 60-something picks before they pick uh, a second time on day two. So I could see that. I could see a lot of secondary help, uh, especially at corner. Um, and I think they're just going to try to continue to add pieces up and down the roster because this is a top-heavy roster that uh, is looking desperately for playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. So this draft kind of matches up with their need. Uh, it's just a matter of where they take certain guys, and obviously the quarterback situation is always going to be hanging over their entire draft. Yes, and, and particularly if they don't try to move up on, on a quarterback and uh, stick where they're at in the first. Um, you've got so many picks uh, for the Giants. They could conceivably make – it's not hard to package things together to move up in a later round, uh, earlier in the third, for instance, or, or something like that because you've got enough wealth in picks that you can you can deal two-fifths or something like that to get there or a third and a fifth or something. Yeah, absolutely, and I think – you know, it's interesting because the Giants have all, they haven't taken a quarterback in the first round. You know, they've been incredibly blessed. They took a quarterback in 2004, uh, and they actually traded for the quarterback. They took Phillip Rivers at four, traded him for Eli Manning, and then they haven't taken a first first round quarterback since. I mean, that's that we're going on 16 years at this point. Uh, so. If they do like a quarterback at the back end of the first round, I could see them try to package something and try to get into that back end of the first round. Uh, someone who'd be willing to give up, kind of like what the Ravens did last year to get Lamar Jackson, just to be able to squeeze in there. They're keeping Eli Manning. That fifth-year option is very important for the first-rounders, for a quarterback especially. So I could see the Giants try to get into that back end. And then that would ultimately have three first-round picks uh, if they don't take a quarterback with the first two. Wow, three first-round picks. That would that would be uh, interesting and fun for all of us to cover here in Nashville. Um, talking to Art Stapleton, um, who covers the NFL for the USAT, USA Today Network, uh, based at the record and NorthJersey.com, moving along to a team that will not be taking a quarterback in the first round. Um, the Jets uh, The Jets feel like they're they're pretty set at quarterback, but what, what else do they – what, what are they looking for, and what kind of strategy do you expect to see from them? It's very interesting. You know, I think uh, Mike McCagnan, the general manager of the Jets, really made it known that um, the second-round picks, I think they gave up three second-round picks last year to make the swap from six to three with the Colts. Uh, and he made it known this year at the Combine that, you know, the third-round pick was for sale. I mean, the third overall pick was for sale, if nothing else, he wanted to recruit some of that price tag that he gave up for Sam Darnold last year. Uh, so this year with the quarterbacks after Kyler Murray, presumably, are not drawing the kind of attention that uh, last year's class did. I think the Jets are kind of stuck in an interesting situation. You know, the, they need defensive players. I think they need an edge player. I mean, I think John Abraham might be the last edge rusher the Jets have had in their defense. Uh, so does Josh Allen uh, fit the bill in that situation uh, from Kentucky? You know, I think that's kind of that spot. You started hearing whispers yesterday, and a lot more people started connecting Ed Oliver to the Jets with the idea that new defensive coordinator Greg Williams uh, is infatuated with Oliver and what he might be able to do in his defense. So I think there's a little gamesmanship going on with the Jets. They'd like to move back 
probably the four or five. So if they, if the Raiders like Ed Oliver and now it's out there with the Jets, I think the Jets may be trying to squeeze a second round pick out of the Raiders to see if they can just move back a spot. They could still end up getting the edge rusher and Allen at four. Uh, and then they still get their pick that they want. So uh, ultimately, I think the Jets will set, settle on a defensive player if they stay at three. It could be Oliver, it could be Josh Allen, it could be Quinn and Williams. Uh, but I think that's kind of where the Jets are sitting. Later in the draft, I think they'll end up looking for uh, some more offensive weapons for Sam Darnold, as we mentioned, just the idea. But look, they, they, they paid big big bucks for Le'Veon Bell. They traded for... Kelechi Osemele, I mean, they they have uh, C.J. Mosley in the middle of their defense now, so they did a lot of work in free agency. Uh, now it's about tinkering for the Jets, but one of those big pieces, as I said, is that edge rusher. Right, yeah, and apart from that, with the rest of the draft, you would I, I would think that they can be selective and, and maybe maybe trying to add some explosiveness in the receiver position, or do you see that as a as a something they might look for? Oh, I think, uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think they'll look for another weapon offensively. You know, they signed Jameson Crowder from the Redskins in free agency. He's kind of that reliable target. You know, he's not necessarily the burner. Uh, I do think they like Robbie Anderson, who who is really their, their de facto wide receiver one. I mean, he's a guy who can really stretch the field. Uh, but you would like to get another receiver in there. Uh, to to see what you know what an offense built around playmakers. I mean, with with Bell and Darnold. I mean, they've got the makings of stuff. I think maybe if they weren't at three, you know, one of the trade down possibilities uh, is if they did trade down from three but stay in the top ten. Uh, maybe they look at an offensive lineman. You know, a Jonah Williams uh, from Alabama. Uh, that kind of player who they can slot in at any number of spots on their offensive line. I think they'd like that because who wouldn't want to protect Sam Darnold uh, when you've got this thing starting to roll and starting to be in a positive direction. Yeah, and, and things do look up for them more than I can think of in recent years. They, they certainly showed a lot more spark this past season, but I do think there are a few pieces short, and I think offensive lines somewhere they've got to look. You don't You don't get that quarterback and invest that much in him and then not protect him. Exactly. And I think, you know, people want to look at Darnold and say, well, he moves around a lot. Yeah, well, you don't want him to move around a lot because of the deficiency of your offensive line. You want it to be by design. You don't want to be running around because guys are in the backfield chasing you. You know, that's kind of the funny thing about the NFL nowadays, right? Everybody wants the quarterback who can run around and make plays, but you want to do it on your terms. You don't want to do it on the other team's terms. And I think the offensive line for the Jets, they, they're without that second-round pick, if they pick somebody at three and they don't get anything in that second round, it's going to be a long wait for them to pull that guy. Now, there's talent there in the third round that you might be able to get a project offensive lineman, uh, but at this point – uh, that's kind of what they what they're weighing. You know that third round, that third overall pick can bring you back multiple pieces, but it's just a matter of what pieces will help this team immediately. And I, I you know, they're not a rebuilding team. They're a team right now that believes that they can strike uh, and really make a move in this division. Not necessarily to challenge the Patriots right off the bat, uh, but really make a move towards a, a playoff spot uh, as a wild card. Right, and and let's move along and talk about the other New York, uh, the Buffalo Bills, um, which uh, also have a young quarterback. Uh, mixed returns, I think you can say on that, but uh, certainly made some plays at times and everything. Uh, what does their draft look like? 
you know, I think they're going to try to get a weapon for uh, for Josh Allen. Um, and I'm looking at the tight ends in that spot. Now, I know, I know it's probably a little bit too high for a tight end in that spot. You know, maybe Buffalo moves back a little bit and gets into the low teens. I had floated an opportunity that maybe the Giants and the Bills could connect on a trade uh, for the Bills to go back to 17. Uh, Dave Gettleman, the GM of the Giants, and Brandon Bean, the GM of the Bills, Worked together in Carolina. Bean was Gettleman's assistant, uh, so I think I think the Bills want to maybe if they can get a couple picks and move back a little bit, and still get the guy they want. Uh, the two guys from Iowa, T.J. Hawkinson, who's regarded as the best tight end in the draft, uh, he would be a fine fit in, in Buffalo. Buffalo really hasn't had um, a, a tight end that that can stand out the way they do. They you know they added some pieces. You know Cole Beasley. I mean, guys really aren't, you know, it's amazing how the Buffalo offense has changed over the last couple of years and very quickly. I mean, they had Sammy Watkins, who they picked very high, uh, and it was almost like going in one direction. And then now you look at these years later, and Watkins has never panned out for them, and they're not necessarily an offense that, that has has pieces that you can rely on that you would consider, you know, a top 15 or a top 10 player at their position. I think Hawkinson would be that right away. And if Hawkinson isn't the guy, then maybe Noah Font, his, uh, his teammate, who's really more of an athletic specimen, a height, weight, speed guy, uh, height, weight, and speed guy. Um, so I look at those two guys. If they're going to go you know, a receiver, I think a tight end is a good fit for Buffalo. Yeah, and do the Bills, you think, feel like that they need, need more offensive weapon enhancement or do you think that they might go with um some defensive picks along the way i mean obviously they'll probably pick some but where where do they need help yeah you know what i think their defense was was pretty good last year i gotta be honest you know watching their secondary i think they played very well uh they're probably an underrated secondary uh in the league if you watch the games uh, against the patriots against the jets you know, they they played well. I mean, really, the last two years, Buffalo has been pretty good in the secondary. Uh, I think, like the Jets, they're also a team. I stay on the offensive side of the ball. I, I bring up Jonah Williams again. You know, uh, Buffalo has had situations in their offensive line where they've traded guys and guys have retired on them. Uh, I, I like Jonah Williams in that spot, too. I, I think he's a top-ten player in this draft. He's a clean prospect. Uh, you have now two veteran running backs and LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore. Uh, so obviously you know what kind of tone you want to set. Um, so if they don't go tight end, I do like the idea of maybe going for an offensive lineman there. Uh, and I would, sh- I would go towards a Williams, then uh, Jonah Williams, then uh, a Jawan Taylor or an Andre Diller, just based on those guys are really more uh, tackles. And I think Williams could have a future at any one of the five spots up front. I think that brings tremendous value, especially since uh, his former OC at Alabama, Brian Dable, is the offensive coordinator up in Buffalo. So there is some familiarity uh, with Jonah and the Bills. Yeah, and that sometimes that helps a lot when you're assessing a guy and you've got a coach who's been not just observed him like a scout, but actually coached him. Or you know, I don't exactly. think he was directly coaching lineman, but he was the offensive coordinator, so certainly sees his work habits and all that kind of thing. No doubt. 
All right, Art Stapleton with the USA Today Network, based at the record and and NorthJersey.com, uh, talking about the NFL draft. Um, Want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, maybe one of the more intriguing teams in this draft because they're obviously not very far removed from a Super Bowl run, albeit with a different quarterback. But um, wh- how good are they or how, how much do they need? They, they seem to be an enigma to me. Enigma is a good word. I think I think they're looking for luxuries right now. I don't think there's a glaring hole where you'd say, you know what, the Eagles need this in order to contend. I think they'll contend right now. Obviously, Carson Wentz's health is important. Uh, that, that's an understatement. Uh, but I'm looking at the offensive line again, and it's funny how many teams – you you want you need offensive linemen. No matter how many offensive linemen there are in the draft, you probably need you know quantify that by by double or triple. Um, and if I'm the Eagles at 25, I'm hoping that a guy like Cody Ford or Dalton Reisner from uh, Kansas State, Ford is from Oklahoma. I, I want to get along the lines of the Jonah Williams. I need a guy who can play tackle if I got a guy banged up. I can bump him inside. If you know, I don't necessarily need a guy to come in and say he's my starter now at that position. But the Eagles have an, uh, an intriguing situation. You know, They lost their right guard, uh, Brandon Brooks. Uh, I think it was an Achilles uh, in the playoffs last year. And he's going to miss some time this year. So they have kind of a hole there at right guard. It wouldn't surprise me one bit to see the Eagles go for a guy like Cody Ford or a Dalton Reisner and say, you know what, we like his future at tackle, and right now we have a tackle on Jason Peters on the left side, but we are going, and we have Lane Johnson at right tackle, so we're not necessarily looking for a tackle immediately, but I could see them putting one of those guys at right guard right from the start of the season and saying, you know what, until Brooks comes back, We'll worry about that when he comes back. We're going to play a, a, our first-round pick in that spot, and then we'll roll the dice and see what, and go from there. So um, I was on, a, on the running back, Josh Jacobs, for a while with the Eagles, but when they made that trade with Chicago for Jordan Howard, uh, I think that kind of takes them out of the mix for a running back uh, that high up, especially in, you know, in, in 25 and they're with their first-round pick. So – those are the guys I'm looking at immediately uh, for the Eagles uh, as offensive linemen. Do, do you see them as a team that, that doesn't really need to trade up or down? Or, or how, how do you look at that? You know, with Howie Roseman, who knows? I mean, he out of all the GMs in the league, I know John Dorsey gets a ton of credit. Obviously, Chris Ballard did a fantastic job uh, with the Colts last year. When it comes to Howie Roseman, it seems like all the moves that he's making uh, turn out well for this team. And he's a magician. He brings guys in for contracts, gets veterans to come in, deals uh, Michael Bennett to New England, gets another pick. You know, when he brought in Chris Long two years ago, that panned out. Obviously, Chris Long was a major part of their uh, Super Bowl run. Uh, so uh, when I look at the Eagles, they could do anything at 25. I mean, really, they could go down and maybe get one of those offensive linemen if they need to. They could bump back a little bit. You know, a couple spots that I'd also look at, I'd say safety is an interesting one for the Eagles. Uh, Nasser Adderley from 
uh, Delaware is a small school prospect, but he's kind of somebody they've been in on. Uh, another sleeper is Darnell Savage from Maryland. Do they bump back to the end of the first round or maybe even the early second round and try to get those guys, plus you get another pick? Uh, one one intriguing situation for the Eagles, and to use that word again, and it's funny, you go back to your word of enigma, they got Deshaun Jackson back this year in Philly, but how much more does Deshaun Jackson have? Do the Eagles consider Marquise Brown from Oklahoma? You know, he's going to slide a little bit, presumably because of that foot injury. But, boy, wouldn't that be some weapon for Carson Wentz in that offense if Marquise Brown is sitting there and Harry Roseman says, you know what, we can take this weapon and we could use him and you put him on the field with Deshaun Jackson, who's covering us in the NFC East? Um, so those are kind of some other names that I'm looking at for the Eagles. And I think they're, they are an enigma. They can do pretty much whatever – uh, whatever Roseman wants to do in that spot. They have a lot of flexibility. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, this week at the NFL Draft in Nashville. Thank you very much, Art. Um, appreciate you talking to, about the draft and uh, all looking forward to seeing what happens. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me, and everybody have fun on uh, Thursday night. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to NFL Draftville, product of the USA Today Sports Network. This is our final episode heading into the draft in Nashville, Tennessee. We thank you for listening. If you want to check out our other episodes to get all the information uh, heading into the big day and the big weekend, we urge you to check it out. You can download it on all of your favorite podcast platforms.